Hello there, I'm Patrick Stroth. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today, I'm joined by Trevor Crow, founder of Crow Legal, a Denver-based law firm specializing in purchase and sale of businesses, private securities offerings, tax, and other transactions for the lower middle market. Trevor, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Patrick. Looking forward to it. Now, before we get into your practice and your focus on the lower middle market, let's get a little context for for our audience here. Tell us what got you to this point in your career. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in in Denver for the most part and uh, bounced around a little bit on the East Coast when I was really young, but grew up in in Denver and went to the University of Colorado at Boulder for undergrad with a degree in finance. And after that, I I worked for three years before going to law school doing several different jobs, but most notably, I worked at an auditing firm doing uh, on the consulting side of an auditing firm. And uh, then I went to University of Denver Law School in 2009, which it was, uh, if those of you who remember 2009, it was not a great year to, to be graduating law school or really be coming out of school anywhere. It was right at the downturn. And so the firm that I was at, or that I had clerked at at that point, you know, I was doing just transactional work there, getting a lot of great experience, but a lot of the transactions died in 2009. And so the firm I was supposed to go to kind of said, well, you don't, we don't really have transactions going on, but if you want to do litigation, we'll, we'll bring you on. And so, you know, my, my start of my career was actually in litigation, commercial litigation, which was an interesting place to start and, you know, good experience as well, I think, because I was able to, to see how contracts blow up and, you know, the arguments, creative arguments that people can make in court uh, on what a contractual provision says well, when it seemed clear, clearly written the other way uh, in my mind. But uh, so, so that was a good experience. It found out pretty quickly that I didn't want to do litigation uh, and, you know, kept working towards doing more deal work at the firm I was at, leaving there and went to uh, a couple other firms doing just transactional work, M&A work. Uh, these were all mid-sized firms in Denver. So most of our deals were, were lower middle market deals. And so that's kind of where I cut my teeth and uh, kind of grew to love that, that area. Um, I started this firm in February of 2018 after I had made partner at another firm in town, uh, another mid-sized firm. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to strike out on my own and, and develop more of my corporate practice. The, the firm that I was at did a lot of real estate work. And so I was kind of the corporate guy at a real estate firm. And uh, it was harder to develop the the M&A business. And so started my firm in 2018. Now we have a couple of attorneys working here as well. And uh, just been kind of doing mid-market M&A deals, uh, lower middle market M&A deals, private securities offerings, and, and that sort of work. So we're kind of a boutique transactional firm. Well, now tell me why you focused on the lower middle market as opposed to other segments. What, what is it about the lower middle market you like? The lower metal market is is a unique area in my mind because for one, I think it's it's underserved. There's not a lot of uh, big shops don't chase those deals. They're chasing the bigger deals because uh, they have high overhead and a lot of other things that they need to cover. So they want to chase the bigger fees. And so this lower metal market is is underserved. I, I also like it because you get to deal with sophisticated buyers and sellers, really smart people who have built businesses, a lot of family owned businesses. Uh, so you get to hear 
you know, the interesting stories on how they've been built up. Uh, there's a, a lot of smart, smart people that you're working with and they want to, but they're also the type that are going to roll up their sleeves and get involved. It seems like a lot more than these, uh, you know, higher ticket deals. And so I, I like that there's usually less ego and each deal is unique. And so th- those are sort of the, what's kind of attracted me to this market. Yeah, I agree with you that the lower middle markets underserved. I mean, there, there are thousands and thousands of these companies out there. And because they don't deal in M&A transactions on a daily basis, they don't have in-house corporate debt, they're not used to the, the services that are available out there. So what they usually do is they default to getting going to a brand company or big four accounting firm or the major uh, top 10 law firms. Nothing wrong with them. It's just you're not going to get the value with those organizations. They may have tons of resources, but those resources are built and designed for major, major size deals. And, you know, the, the lower middle market members, they're going to get shortchanged. Not only are they going to get less response time and get overlooked, they're going to pay a premium and they're not going to get solutions that are really fit for them. The larger firms don't have the bandwidth to have multiple solutions, whether it's on quality of earnings, whether it's on some legal diligence or other services out there, they don't have a lot of solutions or a wide enough variety of solutions out there. So you end up paying more and getting less. And I don't think that's fair for a lot of these owners and founders who you know, took it upon themselves to create something where nothing existed and just build tremendous value. It's just not as large as Walmart. Okay, so that's where I passionately feel about wanting to serve that community. Now, Trevor, explain what a boutique firm like yours can do for the lower middle market. What are the types of things that are that they're looking for that you deliver that possibly the other larger firms aren't going to be able to to satisfy? Yeah, so I think you kind of hit on a couple of them there with our, our response time. I mean. When you're a small fish in a big pond at some of these larger uh, service providers, they don't provide you the, the time and attention typically that you need in an M&A transaction. As anybody who's involved with M&A knows, time kills deals. And so you want to be efficient and you need to turn around, be able to turn around documents. From a lawyer's side, that's, that's what we can do is turn around documents quickly. We answer the phone. You know, so when somebody calls, whoever our client is calls, somebody's going to answer and we're going to be able to schedule a time to talk and we're going to prioritize, you know, those deals that are, we have in our shop and that we're trying to get through. So I think time response time is big. Uh, you know, one of the, you know, my pet peeves is seeing people not hire the right team. And, and that happens not, not at any fault of the people that are the buyers or sellers. A lot of times it's usually just because they don't know. And so they either end up hiring people that are too not specialists in this area or they're going to the big shops and, and not getting treated well. And so that's kind of a, a pet peeve of mine. And I, you know, it just breaks my heart to see when these companies who built a lot of value, you can see deals die because of it, either because it's a, you know, a family owned shop or family owned business that has grown up with an attorney when they were nothing that was, is kind of a general practitioner and they've helped them with some commercial contracts, maybe some employment issues and that sort of thing. And then that's just who they know. And so they try to use them for an M&A deal and it, it can lead to a train wreck. And sometimes it can kill the deal, uh, honestly. And I've seen deals die because of their counsel and, and that's a problem. You know, you can also get hire those big shops and then they can be 
totally, totally over lawyer, you know, a $5 million deal. And we've dealt with that plenty of times on, on the sell side, representing sellers to, you know, private equity companies and things like that. And so that, I just hate to see that. And so we, we strive to be, you know, the firm that we come in, we don't have an ego on the documents. You know, we take a practical approach to it. Uh, there's, these are M&A contracts or an allocation of risk, right? Uh, which, which you know very well, Patrick, and, and how that works. And so these, we're just allocating risks back and forth. You're not going to get an agreement that takes all your risk away. Uh, and so you got to, at some point, I think a good attorney who's experienced in this area is going to be able to come to the, to their client and say, Hey, here's where we're at. Here's the risk of going this way. Here's the risk going that way. And there are certain things that I would consider are, are more legal, uh, but there's ultimately a lot of it becomes business decisions and it's navigating the client through those and saying, all right, here's the risk of this way. Here's the risk of that way. You know, what do you think? Um, how do you feel as far as taking those risks and helping them guide, guide through that as well as, you know, telling them what's kind of market out there, what, what you see in typical deals. And I think we're uniquely positioned to, to provide that sort of um, counsel to clients. Uh, we have, you know, I've worked on at larger firms, I've worked on $200 million deals. You know, I've been on these, these larger deals and it's um, so I have the experience and, you know, the other attorneys here now have developed that experience as well to, to deal with these uh, M&A transactions. And I think we've just kind of been laser focused on it, which has allowed us to, to do them efficiently and, and help deals get actually, actually get closed. With what you're doing there, as you, we're talking about this, uh, a thought struck me because a parallel I would have is with insurance. When you see startups, startups need insurance, a variety of, of policies. But the thing is, you can bankrupt a fledgling company by over-insuring them, getting them every possible line of coverage out there where you have to go ahead and balance things. There's an exposure here. We are not going to insure it today, uh, such as like directors and officers liability. Let's wait until you get funding, okay? When you get some outside funding, when you get some outside person that's going to sit on your board, then we will think about a DNL policy. But you're privately held. Let's get you up and running first. Just you're not that big a target. So why lump you up with it? So I see where you try to find that balance where you don't want to underrepresent them, but you know they're not going to be taken to the Supreme Court for you know a, a nine-figure you know, penalty. Right. Yeah. And so absolutely right. You gotta, you gotta have, you gotta fit the market and, and, and fit the deal. And and again, I think, you know, there's just not, there's not a riskless transaction. So at some point you're taking, there's some risks allocated to you in that contract and, and you just gotta take it with your eyes wide open. And that's, that's what our job is. I feel like is to, to educate the clients on uh, here's the risk you're taking. And if that's a business risk, going to do uh, or that you're willing to take, then, then let's move forward. Yeah. And, and you're not going without a net here. You've got, to, there's going to be some, some stuff that they're going to need. And it's just the expert weighing all prioritizing the exposures out there and then addressing those. I can imagine that you also have a network of other resources there, not in-house, but if they need a quality of earnings report or they need some other diligence documents, you're not directing them to the big four accounting firm. You can, you can find things that make, make sense. That's right. Yeah. We have a set of resource or, you know, a, a network of resources that we can direct clients to where, where whether they need a QV, um, 
you know, they need a valuation expert to come in. They need a regulatory expert. You know, we've done deals where uh, patent portfolios have been an asset. And so we've had to bring in, we don't have any patent lawyers in house, but we know them. We know patent lawyers that can come in and evaluate those patents and, and whether they're, uh, they have value or if they're defensible, that sort of thing. Uh, or if there's other regulatory issues, like, uh, you know, we, we did a healthcare deal where there was certain medic Medicaid uh, issues that we needed to have um, looked into. And so we brought in another attorney who was a Medicaid expert who could help with transferring those, uh, those licenses over. And so, yeah, we, we just, you know, part of the, the problem with m a is that there's so many issues that can come up. And so from attorney's perspective, you, you really can't be that your M&A attorney needs to be like a quarterback in some senses to from the legal side to, to say, okay, well, you need to talk to this person here. You need to talk to this person there, or we need an, to bring in an expert on this piece because, you know, there's just so many things that can come up in a business or in an M&A transaction that may require an expert in, in another area. And that's why, you know, the team is so important, I think, in an M&A deal. Well, let's provide some context here because we're talking about lower middle market or almost micro middle market. In terms of transaction value, what's your range of your typical client? So our typical clients are the the three million to most of our deals are you know in the three million to fifteen million dollar range, I would say. And so that's you know that's the micro, it depends how you define it, but I guess a lot of people would define that as the the micro middle market or even just, you know, lower market. And it's, um, you know, it's not quite main street deals like, you you know, selling hair salons and things like that, but we're, you know, we're doing businesses that are 3 million and, you know, the big shops really don't want to touch those sometimes. And they, a lot of, we get referrals actually from larger law firms that say, Hey, you know, this one, this is probably a good deal for, for your firm, but we would charge too, too much on fees to, to handle this one. So we'll refer it over to you. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the market. I would say if, if a $25 million deal or a $30 million deal came in, we would, we would probably take it and be able to handle it very well, depending on, on, you know, the industry and what other needs that the client may need uh, for, for that transaction. But I would say the bulk of our deals are in that three to $15 million range. All right. Well, now our focus on the insurance side for M and a, is using rep and warranty insurance. And even though rep and warranty insurance eligibility thresholds have come down, so now you can have deals that are as low as $10 million transaction value, where it can be insurable for two to $5 million, even the full $10 million transaction value when the fundamental reps can be there. Rep and warranty isn't always a fit for everybody. There are other things that can be done where, like you said, you can't cover all the exposures. Well, let's, let's value which ones are there. So there are rep and warranty light type products out there that, that are available. What kind of insurance problems do they run into? A lot of them, it's this DNO insurance is a big one. Some, a lot of them don't just don't have it. And so we have to talk to them about that and, and getting DNO insurance. Uh, Cause we, we also do private securities work where we're helping companies raise money. And then, you know, a lot of times that's, that's when it pops up is, you know, we, you got either large angels who want to come in and, and they want to seat on the board or, or sometimes VC funds are coming in and they want, want to seat on the board and they're going to require it. Um, and so, uh, you know, a lot of times we're, we're talking to clients about the DNO insurance. So that, that's a big one. Rep warranty insurance is 
something that we've looked into and, and, you know, we've, you know, you and I have talked about it a, a bit. And so that's, you know, I'm glad to see that those prices are coming down and can be a fit for some of these transactions that we're working on now, because it's a huge, it's a huge attorney standpoint in that it makes negotiating the reps and warranties provisions a lot easier. And that's, and that's the heart, you know, those are, that's the biggest negotiated section of a, of a purchase agreement is typically that reps, the reps and warranties and indemnification. And so, you know, to the extent we can make that simpler and, and get us to the, the closing table quicker, that that's huge. Anything with, uh, with cyber, is that becoming an issue with what you're seeing? Cyber insurance, you know, we had a, this, I'm glad you brought that up. We, we recently had a client asking about cyber insurance and, you know, we've, we had trouble finding, finding it, honestly. Um, and maybe I needed to talk to you about it, <laughs> uh, but that was, that was about, gosh, a year ago when we were looking at, into that and we were having trouble finding it, um, at least one that fit. And so, yeah, that that's, I mean, data privacy and, and, and protection is becoming a huge issue right now. It's, you know, all the, the continuing, continuing legal education, providers out there are doing events on this. There's, you know, specialists in this area because, you know, GDRP, you got the California, uh, just, you know, pass new laws on it. And, and it's kind of a, given how the internet works and how it goes, you know, across state lines easily, you kind of got to comply with the most stringent requirements. And uh, so this is becoming a big issue and in, in more and more and something that, yeah, more and more clients are asking about. So uh, I, We've we've run into it, and you know, I now I'm I'm glad we have a, a connection with you to, to to talk more about that. Yeah, that's one of the things with the lower middle market is you're allocating resources because you've got fi- everybody's got finite resources, and so you're not necessarily going to be buying a multitude of insurance policies whenever you start getting in realizing new exposures. It's usually not until you get to uh, you know a transaction. And then all of a sudden you have to start taking inventory. And so now you've got these new developments and there are a lot of policies out there that suddenly you now need to just check the box and you don't want to spend a a ton of money on that. But at the same time, you want something that is viable that post-closing is going to respond to a claim and you're not going to get a call in the middle of the night saying, yeah, that policy you bought for a thousand dollars. Yeah, that that's not valid for, for what you have. I mean, you need something that's going to be there, but it's very important, particularly for the smaller organizations out there where, again, you don't want to bankrupt them with buying too many policies for every exposure. But then when the need comes, you've got to get itemized specific things. There are some real laser, finite, purposeful doc, uh, documents and products out there that can provide the coverage and and at a good value. I mean, less than what having a policy for 10 years would cost. So there are things out there and, and it's, it's important that everybody is aware of that. Let me ask you this, Patrick, if you don't mind, they, I don't mean to turn the tables on you here, but they, they you know, in any M&A deal nowadays, there's going to be rep, a rep and warranty about data privacy and that you've complied yes. with laws and, and, you know, any buyer is going to push for that in there. And obviously, you know, from my standpoint, if we're representing a seller, we're trying to push back on those and, and make carve outs to the extent we need to. But how does that work with, uh, say, you know, you have a seller who doesn't have cyber insurance. They have that rep and warranty in there, but they want to get rep and warranty insurance. Will that cover 
that or do you, does that, is that carved out? Yeah, a lot of times the uh, rep and warranty policies are now trying to carve out the cyber. What they will prefer doing is uh, encourage the, the seller to go purchase a standalone cyber policy, uh, liability policy. Those usually are anywhere from $3,500 in premium to $10,000 in premium, depending on the size of the company and how many records are there. Okay, that's purchased. Then what, if, if that is in place and the seller has to have cyber policies and procedures just for protecting data, they have to have you know, basic firewalls, they have to have policies and procedures among their team you know, that, that information isn't leaked and there's a protocol. So they have to have some things in place. It's similar to employment, employment issues where you've got to have an employee handbook if you've got 50 employees. Okay, you can't just, I have an insurance policy, but we have no handbook. Okay, so you have to have some uh, common sense policies and procedures in place. If you do, and you have a cyber policy, a rep and, and warranty policy will just literally sit on top of that cyber policy. If the rep is breached, the and and there's a and and this does happen quite a bit is post closing, you don't know about a breach until months after it happened, and you have no knowledge of it at all until something erupts six to twelve months later, and and then uh, you've got people coming after you. Well, if you've got a, a cyber policy in place, they will respond to those claims. The rep and warranty policy will then just sit as an, an excess policy right above it. So those damages usually can be contained within the rep warranty policy, but uh, within the cyber policy primary, and then the rep and warranty. Keep in mind, rep and warranty insurance policies usually have a deductible that's 1% to 2% of the transaction value. So you could have a minimum retention of $150,000 on your rep and warranty policy. Cyber policy might only have a $10,000 retention. So you want that early attachment point at that, you know, three to $7,000 premium item, then you can have the rep and warranty supplement. So that, that's how they're addressing those. Oh, that's good. That's a good point on the, on the deductible piece, you know, to, to have that and the good reason to have that cyber policy. Yeah. Now, as we're sitting here right now, we're about, as we're recording this, we're midway through the, the COVID-19 sell in place. I, at least I hope we're on, on the latter half of it now. And I usually ask my guests what they see trend-wise for M&A or their particular specialty. Um, I'm just curious from, from your perspective on the lower middle market, let's say we get back and up and running and we, we start opening up um, in late June, early July. I mean, we're from California, so we may be shut down until August. But uh, for the rest of the country, probably getting out May into June. What do you see trend-wise for you? How fast or slow do you think activity is going to pick up for you on the transaction side? I'm hopeful that things are picked up and, and going going like they were in June. I, I think that's hopeful, but I don't know if that's going to be the case. And I think it, you know it's tough to predict now how that's going to go, but I know that we had a bunch of deals that were in the process in early March and those deals are, have been put on hold. Actually, one, one did go through and close, uh, but the other you know, four deals are either on hold or, or they may be dead. I'm not sure as of now. Uh, I think that my hope is that this, there is a quick recovery. 
but I think it's going to affect different industries differently. Uh, in other words, there's a lot of talk about, a, you know, is this going to be a U recovery? Is this going to be a V? Is it going to be a, a W? You know, a lot of letters thrown out there. And, and recently I heard somebody say, maybe it's going to be a Y. And I think that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking it might be. Whereas there's going to be an uptick, I, I think, uh, hopefully a quick uptick tick on certain industries whereas other industries is probably going to stay down for a while uh you know retail restaurants things like that i think you're going to have a tough time uh managing this this shutdown and coming back you know there could be other but there's other industries that i think are going to pop back and you know start start doing deals again and so i'm hopeful that that's how it you know at least a part of the economy starts coming back certain industries come back and and deals start going again. Uh, I think that, you know, there's obviously a lot of private equity money out there and uh, at least there's, you know, reports of a, a ton of private equity money out there ready to, to buy. And so, you know, there's, there could be some, a lot of shoppers out there looking to get, get good deals right now. You know, they can push on valuations and, and hopefully pick up some, some good deals. And so that could help get the M&A market back, I think quicker as well. So hard to say, hard to have a crystal ball here, but my, my hope is that by June, uh, certain industries are, are going again and, and M&A is picked up. Trevor, how can our audience find you? So my, find us on our website, crow.legal, C-R-O-W dot legal, L-E-G-A-L, uh, or you can email me directly. It's just trevor at crow.legal. And um, so there's no.com, it's just a dot legal. And uh, you can catch me there uh, or, you know, call me directly, 720-230-7123. Happy to talk to anybody who's who's out there in in this market, service providers, uh, buyers, sellers, anybody. Uh, We love doing deals here and uh, think that we provide a lot of value to the lower middle market. So if you you need anything from me, please send me an email or give me a call. Fantastic. Trevor, appreciate it. Great talking today. And we're going to talk again real soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Patrick.